Mac Power Users, Episode 107, Workflows with Gene McDonald. Hello, everyone. I'm David Sparks. Along with me is Katie Floyd. Hi, Katie. How are you doing? Hey, David. We have a special guest with us today, Gene McDonald from Smile Software. Welcome, Gene. Hey, hey, David. Hey, Katie. How are you guys? You, you know, Gene, we have been wanting to have you on the show. Actually, you've been on the list for like years. I think you've been on my <laughs> list ever since we started doing the workflow shows. I said, we've got to have Gene. We've got to have Gene. We've got to have Gene on the list. Yeah. So, and, and I think Gene is kind of legendary to podcast listeners because so many of at least my favorite podcasts always make reference to Gene because she's the... Uh, Gene from Smile. Yeah, Gene from Smile, and and everybody universally loves and adores Gene, and there's good reason for that because she's really an amazing person. And uh, you've been a, a friend of mine in addition to a sponsor of the show. That's a small part of it, really. You've you've just been a great friend over the years, and and you've always got good advice. And I think in a lot of ways you uh, you've helped a lot of people in the Mac related business even before it was an iOS business. Uh, and giving guidance and ideas for developers uh, throughout the community. I, I remember the first time I met you was at Macworld, I don't know how many years ago, and and you were, uh, you, you were introducing me to other developers that had interesting software because you were trying to help them get the word out about their products. Oh, yeah, and, uh, I remember that. Yeah, and uh, the one that stands out for me is Dave, the, the guy who makes... Um, uh, one it? Password, uh, tech, Dave? No, TechSoap. Oh. oh, that's Mark. 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 Uh, Mark. Unmarked, unmarked. Yeah, we software. had we had lunch with with Mark at like that Mexican place right around from Moscone. That was well, the first time we met. I think that no, was that the first wasn't. time we met. No, I think you introduced yeah. me to him the year before. I don't know. Okay. But anyway. the, the bottom line is that Jean is a very savvy businesswoman who has figured out how to nicely develop her business, and she does it all with Max. And so we've wanted to have you on to talk about how you've done this over the years, but we've also faced this, you know, this 800-pound uh, gorilla to say, well, it's a sponsor, and we're going to have a sponsor on as a guest, and it's going to seem like, you know, we're it's kind of going to seem kind of weird. So we thought we'd just, you know, confront that up at the beginning yeah. of the show. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I think... Um you know, anybody who knows me knows that uh, I, I really um, – actually, I got the nicest uh, email from somebody one time who said, like, are you sure you're a PR person? <laughs> because I was like, you know, I'm not the, I'm not somebody to spin uh, or uh, um, I, everything I'm enthusiastic about, I'm truly enthusiastic. And so I just happen to be lucky enough to work for a company whose products I really love. So, so Gene has, in addition to help Smile uh, get out there and get the word out and help make this awesome product, you've also become recently a, a budding programmer, and you've been learning all these things about that. And you've got something very awesome planned about what you're going to do with this programming knowledge and some interesting programs. And I think all of our listeners would be interested in that. So uh, the general outline for today's show, we're going to talk to Jean about how she does business with her Mac, but also how she became a programmer, because we have lots of listeners writing in about that. And don't and forget while, she's a rock star. Yes. Well, Liter we'll, literally we'll a rock star. And But, you know, I think it's interesting to have you talk about this stuff, Jean, because you're a new programmer, and we've had some very good programmers, I mean. Uh, yeah. You know Daniel Jalkut and some other great guys in here, but yeah, I thought it'd be Marco interesting. And, yeah, 
Yeah, Marco. I thought it'd be interesting to have someone on who is at the beginning of this journey who could kind of share what you're experiencing as you're going through it as well. So uh, that's kind of the general outline for today's show. The show is not sponsored by Smile, and uh, Jean is here because of what she's bringing to the show, and, and that is the reason. So now that we've talked about that, let's get started. So Jean, so Jean tell, yeah. go ahead, Katie. How did a uh, a Russian history major end up doing PR for a software company? <laughs> You've been digging into my Facebook profile. I have. Uh, <laughs> I um, well, it wasn't a, a jump from Russian history directly to software. I worked. Um, I was a PhD student. I thought I would, wanted to be a college professor of history, and uh, after. A few years of that, I realized it wasn't <clears throat> for me, but I worked, um, I was going to graduate school in New Jersey, so I went uh, to New York City and I worked in book publishing for several years. And that was very exciting. Um, and that's where I, I got into marketing, which I didn't even know I was getting into marketing <laughs> when, I, when I took my first job in publishing. I didn't even know it was kind of a marketing job. Um, but I liked it a lot. Um, I was selling foreign rights, translation rights for, for books, uh, so that the books from our publishing company could come out in foreign languages. And that was a lot of fun. And then, um, but I moved to Portland, Oregon, or, uh, eventually my sister had started a software company here, um, making software for kids to make a multimedia crafts, uh, arts and crafts software. And, I just started working for her because she was my sister and I wanted to help her with her startup. And that's kind of how I got started. So you had no formal training whatsoever in marketing and and PR or anything like that. You just kind of started doing it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had, I was very lucky when I was, um, my first job in New York city, I, um, um, I knew I wanted to do foreign rights uh, because I wanted to go to the Frankfurt Book Fair. That was my goal at the time. Oh. And um, my I didn't know foreign rights was a sales job. <laughs> I just thought, oh, I just talk to publishers and pass around, you know, move papers around on a desk and, you know, that, and go out to lunch with authors and stuff like that. So... Uh, but it was pitching, you know, the books to other publishers so that they would buy the rights. And my boss was this woman from Char- uh, Charleston, South Carolina, who had been doing this for decades. And she was the master of of the, the friendly marketing, you know, guru. She Everybody loved her. Everybody, I mean, she was... And she just had this way of getting people to do what she wanted. That was, <laughs> I, I, I guess I, you know, I picked up a few of her, um, her tricks. But basically, it was all about being as nice as possible and being as, um, as forthright and as above board as possible. And um, that's ultimately the only way I could do it anyway. So, so we worked really well together. And um, that's how I learned about... <clears throat> I mean, a lot of PR and marketing is common sense. I think um, so. I don't think I don't think it's necessary to go to college to do PR or marketing. Um, but um, there's probably some degree granting programs out there that disagree with me. 
I think it's amazing, really, how important it is that very first person that comes into your life to to tutor you as to how to be a professional in whatever career you're at, and what in a what a remarkable effect they can have on the future of your career. Because, I mean, practicing law in the day, I'm like you. I'm honest to a fault and very straightforward with people, and everybody at home listening can stop chuckling while I say that. <laughs> but it really is because I was with the right people when I started my career and realized that's the only way to do this, you know. And I think it's really unfortunate when people get started with the wrong with the wrong idea of how to how to do anything. Yes, I agree. Um that it it does make a, a, a um big difference who who gets you started. And then of course, you know, once you get started, you want to help others. And, uh, I've tried to do that as I go along. Um, uh, and yeah, just a, a plug in general to say you, you ought to do what feels right to you. Um, that there's a reason <laughs> if something yeah. makes you uncomfortable, uh, like in my case, like telling people that books were great, that were not great. <laughs> That, you know, not every book is the greatest thing ever written. Um, it was hard because there were people who were really good at that kind of selling, but I just had to stick to my what what I you know what I know, and I think that people knew that if I said something was good, I I meant it, you know. And so I maybe the the trashy you know techno thrillers didn't get sold under my watch, but. <laughs> The, the exquisite first novels did. Excellent. Like the well, 60 Tips book. Have you heard about that? That, that 60 one, Tips book. That yeah. one would never get sold. That one would. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm in negotiations right now. We're going to translate it into Pig Latin. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do hear that one's pretty good, though. Uh, actually, I, I think I've, it might have been written in Pig Latin. Now that I think <laughs> Yeah. No, uh, I... I haven't read it yet. I'm 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 sure by the time this is posted I will have gotten it, but it's I know it's such an opus magnum opus that I couldn't just like download it. You know, I didn't want the just a PDF. I want the iBooks version. Yeah. I definitely want that. Hey, let's talk about you and the Mac though. What at yes. what point did you become a Mac nerd? Um, when I was working at my sister's company, um, which was called Print Packs, uh, got acquired by Mattel um, back in the 90s. And um, the they had Macs. Um, my sister was a, a product marketing person at Hewlett Packard before she left to start her own company. And they all used Macs. In fact, the first Mac world I went to was, you know, crashing with my sister in Boston and just hanging out on the Macworld floor while she demoed the new color inkjet printer. I mean, being you wow. know, that, you're dating that, yourself now. I know. She was the, she was the product marketing manager of the first color inkjet printer at Hewlett Packard. So I, I just I went around that printer. <laughs> yeah, it was it was really something. And she um, and that's back when Hewlett Packard made printers that had a real design to them. I always felt like, yes. I mean, they used to look like Frank Lloyd Wright buildings. They were amazing. Uh, yes, yes, they were. And, uh, you know, our family was uh, pretty much all Hewlett Packard until I got an Epson about 10 years ago because I just Ooh, couldn't deal with Epson. I, 
and it's not just my sister, like our entire circle of friends are Hewlett Packard employees. And I had this Epson box and they're like, it was the the palpable like horror. <laughs> and then I looked at them and I said, look, the drivers, the HP drivers are driving me crazy. And everybody says this Epson works seamlessly with the Mac. So that's when I switched to Epson and I've never gone back. I like Epson a lot. Um, but anyway, yeah, so we had Macs at print packs and that's where I started to learn web design because, you know, somebody had to be in charge of the website and it was all very new, um, back then in the mid nineties. Uh, so I was the internet marketing manager, which was, um, I also did not get a degree in, uh, <laughs> and, uh, I don't that, think anybody <clears throat> did in the nineties. <laughs> right. So, yes, yeah, so I did, um, I, I started to learn how to design web pages by, um, because I was forced to, because the, the guys who were in charge of doing the website, you know, technical stuff were the developers and they, they would say, oh, we can't even look at that for the next two weeks or, you know, they really didn't want to be bothered doing web pages. That's what I realized in retrospect that they were, you know, developing the software. And they um, said, here's this product called uh, Claris homepage, try that out and you make some web pages. And so I did. And then I took a, a, I actually did take a course in web, web design, um, an intensive course. And so you were learning HTML at that point? Yes, there was no, there was Claris homepage. And there, you know, there was that Microsoft thing, but I think it was um, front page. Is that what they yes, call it? Yes, yes, Hor- yeah. horrible thing. And um, no, I'm we not really clear what HTML. you think of it, Gene. <laughs> <laughs> it was well because I'd have people would bring me web pages that had been written in it, and I'd be like, "Oh my god, they were impossible to work with." So, yes, I guess I still have feel the horror. Of that, it uh, seems like at that point, the way the web was developing, it really was open field and nobody knew where it was going. And Microsoft mm-hmm. had such a strong hold on the industry that I think they were trying to write the web around their own standards. Yes, that's, you know, and that that was the thing with front pages is, is their attempt to do that. And I think a yeah. lot of people rebelled from it. And, and thankfully, we don't have a web that's controlled by one company now. Yes, or one browser. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so that was the school where I, I studied web design was a Mac, you know, had a Macintosh lab. And I eventually went on to take some more design courses and uh, wound up finally teaching web design and Photoshop. And um, that was, so that was all Mac stuff. And I really never looked back. I, I, I can't remember the last time I did anything with a PC. And then, and then, when did your affiliation with Smile begin? Well, that was about um, almost ten years ago. Uh, my my neighbor and and very good friend Philip Goward uh, had just we. I mean, we were buddies. Had been buddies for a couple of years, and he had sold a company he was involved with, and had started working on something else. He told me about sort of briefly and then he said would you like to look at this thing um and let me you know watch you try to use it and i said sure and that was disc label um and uh 
I was a horrible candidate for being a beta tester of disk label because I, I wasn't using iPhoto yet. Um, I had the designer's, you know, prejudice against letting Apple manage all my images. And so disk label is great, you know, when you work with iPhoto and iTunes, and I wasn't really ready for that. So, but Philip did not give up on me and invited me to come to Macworld in 2004 to work at their first booth, uh, Philip and Greg Scown, who's uh, the other founder of Smile. And the uh, I can still remember the email Philip sent me with the subject line, hard work, but fun. <laughs> and so I was intrigued. And that really sealed the deal for me. Going to Mac, that first Macworld, I thought, wow, I think I would enjoy working in the Mac industry because the people are, are really cool. I mean, there's so many different kinds of people with so many different kinds of interests. It didn't feel like a tech convention to me. So felt more no. like a book, book uh, convention, you know, where you have a, a variety of interests. I, I always look at Macworld as a massive collection of left brain people. And everybody is enthusiastic about the Macs, but it's usually a part of doing something else. It may be a part of developing software, but just as often it's a part of making music or making movies or or writing or something, which is really what the whole genesis of these workflow shows is I love talking to people about how they take this basic technology and then they make something great with it. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and that really kind of leads to where we're at with you today because – you know, we haven't really talked to a business person about the way, you know, you market and run your, your business uh, on a Mac. And we thought this would be a good conversation to have. Sure. So tell us, how, how do you pull it off? <laughs> um, well, I try to use as few software tools as possible. <laughs> Isn't, you know, that's a really common theme we have on the show. A lot of people, yeah. you know, they say, look, I want to get really good at a couple things and just, you know, what's the word? They they want to crush it, right? You know, yeah. and, and I guess to maybe give us a little bit of, of a bigger picture so we can understand the setting of this, my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, is is Smile, you don't get up and go to an office building every day and, and, and see all of your coworkers and employees at Smile, right? Only in my dreams. Only in your dreams. <laughs> So, I, uh, yeah, I work at home. So yes, as, I'm, as do most people who work for, I, I guess, as does everybody who works for yeah, Smile, right? There's, I do occasionally get emails from people who would like a tour of the headquarters and I you show say, them your backyard. I say, come on over and I'll take you out for coffee. <laughs> but yes, we do. We all work uh, remotely and that's worked really well for us. I mean, Philip, Greg and I all, um, have a lot of interests and a lot of stuff going on and we don't live in the same t city i mean even philip and greg don't see each other that often because they live in different parts of the bay area so uh but we see each other every week on iChat. so yeah if i was going to start with one thing that was has been indispensable is iChat. Okay. um we we have a video conference um once a week thursday mornings and i think which is a good time uh, to do it for a variety of reasons. Um, <clears throat> and uh, we um, we use Google Docs extensively. So when we're having our meeting, we, we keep notes, you know, meeting minutes, which we're required to do actually, you know, by 
um, you know, for our LLC. And uh, we keep the minutes and um, we can all see the minutes as they're being read. Um, I mean, read, they written. Um, and we talk, you know, basically one person says, what's the agenda? And we type up a few things in the Google Doc. That's a, And then we just start hitting them. Um, and it's, it's I, I think a weekly meeting is, is essential if you do it right. If mm-hmm. you do it wrong, it's horrible. I know I've been there, um, you know, in meetings from hell. But this works really well for us because none of us, not, not one of us wants to waste any time. Right. So when you have the meeting, is it, do you run the video cameras too, or is it just audio? No, it's video and audio. Yeah. I think that's kind of important because uh, the technology is now available. A lot of people aren't there yet, uh, but I've been running increasingly video-based meetings with my day job. Mm-hmm. And I think it just brings everybody into focus more. When you've got audio, it's so easy to go check email or, you know, start fiddling around in your office with something. You know, somebody's <clears throat> not sitting there twittering or yeah. doing right. something else or reading a book or you know, whatever, whatever. The case. And not That's to mention, a, you get so yeah. much more information when you watch somebody's face while you're talking to uh, them. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, and uh, Philip and Greg and I have w- worked long enough together that some, you know, I can read where... <laughs> Yeah, that's a really good idea. (laughs) Exactly. You have that face. What? Why didn't? What? What don't you like about this idea? Um, Right. And uh, plus, you know, it just keeps us human. Um, We, uh, you know, we are friends, and we um, we do like seeing each other. It's sometimes, you know, connectivity or just gremlins. You know, general tech gremlins prevent the audio uh the video from working and we'll just do a conference call but um it's just not as good as a good quality video conference and so um yes i i i haven't tried using well skype is uh i i i guess you have to to do multiple video um conferencing is uh another level of skype that i don't have but iChat has worked for us, or messages, messages, as I should call it now. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so but just, now you can't do that from a, a mobile device. Can with with iChat, you can do FaceTime to an individual, but I don't think you can do multi-party FaceTime calls. Right? Am I correct with that, David? Yeah, not to my knowledge. Right, and 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 for whatever reason, well, iChat and FaceTime don't integrate well together. Well, yeah, that's a good question. I, I mean, iChat always allowed you to do multi-party. No, video. iChat does, but um, and but, but if, I haven't tried it with messages. But I don't think if if Gene is let's say out on location somewhere, and and Philip and Greg are back home, I don't think she can FaceTime into their iChat conversation. Yeah, hmm. I, I do not believe she can either. But the uh, that's an that's a good question. I, I, don't know. I think it's tried? interesting um, watching my kids because they are using FaceTime. And, you know, I chat more, much more than I would think of. I mean, I go in the room and my 15-year-old has her camera, her uh, her laptop open and her camera on and, and her friend is sitting there talking to him and they're doing homework. Just like when we were kids, we'd go over our friend's house. Now, just as often, they'll just sit there and they'll have the iChat open. They'll say, you know, what did you get on number two? And I'm sure there's a lot of talk about, you know, things that aren't really related to school. But at the same time, <laughs> there are things that are. and But it's very natural for them. 
to be in that situation where they can see each other and talk to each other via computer. Whereas uh, for people of my generation, it still feels a little uh, weird. It feels like something you have to kind of plan out. And for them, they just get on it. So it's definitely, I think, the way things are heading. Yeah. And the technologies are getting so much easier now. My Google Foo says, no, FaceTime is one-to-one only. Yeah. Mm. But then yeah, there's that, some other solutions too, like you know, go, the the Google Plus was it the Google the Hangouts, Plus, Hangouts yeah. Google Plus yeah. Hangouts. There you go. I, I I was close. I was really close. So and, can you do a Hangout from a mobile device? Like, can you get into one? I I, I think don't so. Know. Yeah, I think so. I have not the, done a Hangout yet. I I would like to. It just hasn't happened. Yeah, and then there's you know there's other like third party services like meeting services and things you can do. That uh, will also provide that that video feed. Well, that's that Sounds makes like sense. Sounds like you found something that works well for you. Yeah, it's you know we it, Philip and Greg are also in the the you know camp of let's keep it simple. Right. Um, they, I mean, they're they're developers and they can manage any kind of software. They don't like to play with software just for the fun of it playing with it <laughs> now for yes. do you keep iChat open throughout the day for instant messaging or messaging back and forth with each other or once you're yes. once you're done with your call you're out no we're um we're all on iChat when we're at our computers we're on iChat and we you know within reason don't mind pinging each other for a question here or there um or something good news, you know, sometimes really good news comes through and it's like you have to share it with somebody and it's uh, it's nice to have somebody there you can just uh, share the good news with. Um, <clears throat> I will say that one thing I've done, like I was thinking about ways I've hacked my workplace to be as um, uh, non-distracting as possible, which it's still very distracting, but one of the things that um, I did with iChat is uh, I put all the smile people into one group, you know, one buddy group, and then I I minimize all the other ones. That's helpful. So, yeah, it's because somebody, one of my friends, not very techie friend, was, you know, came by and she sees like I've maybe like 20 people on iChat, you know, are signed in and they're like, look at all these people. You're like, I'm like, I don't even, you know how you don't actually talk to those people all day, right? It's most of those people just, you know, it's just because they're a buddy. But it, it dawned on me that it was um, take, it was probably subtly making me feel, you know, um, distracted because I'd say, oh, look at, there's all the guys at Boinks, you know, who are my buddies, you know, they're up early. I mean, by our standards, they're already up when I get up and I like seeing them there, but that's distracting. So I've, I only see my smile group now and <clears throat> that helps me. Uh, I mean, it just, it's just one of those things that feels less cluttered on my desktop. Now you have a series of others and uh, people who work with or work for smile that aren't in, in part of your founding group that, that do tech support and that do other things. How do you coordinate with them? Because I know they have different schedules and, and different things that they do. Do you also coordinate and hand out assignments like like your your support team, for example? Mm-hmm. Are they totally well, independent? They're very independent. Um, I mean, that's a requirement for for being you know doing work for Smile is to 
not need a lot of supervision. <laughs> and, um, Greg is primarily organizes the support uh, team and, and their efforts, but, um, you know, they all know there's some basic, you know, guidelines for covering the support queue, which we use uh, desk.com, um, which was, I forget, what used to be called Assistly, and then it um, is now acquired by Salesforce. And desk.com, I mean, I use it too when um, it seems like a pretty good system to me, um, but I am not a heavy user of it because I'm not heavily into answering tech support questions. Um, but yeah, that so that works pretty well. And with desk, you know, if an email, if a question comes in and somebody else needs to answer it, you know, you assign it to them, you could put a note in there and it it's all gets taken care of pretty easily. So that doesn't, I mean, it's hard work. Um, and we really work hard at it to make sure that, um, we really cover the customer, um, support, but, uh, desk make, seems to make it um, at least not feel overwhelming. Yeah. So desk.com is because it's part of salesforce.com. It's obviously a cloud-based solution, but it's cloud-based customer service. Mm-hmm. So when you, when something comes in, it's all managed in, in their cloud database. So you can access it through various platforms, including your iPhone. Mm-hmm. And you can have like, I know for instance, uh, you've got people on the East Coast that work for you as well, and mm-hmm. you've got people all around the country, and maybe even international, internationally, mm-hmm. and you can easily assign those things out, push a button, and then somebody else gets it on their on their list to deal with. Right. That's right. Nice. Yeah, I wasn't aware of this until you started talking about it. I'm just looking at the website right now. It looks pretty useful. So this is not just really a software development tool. This is for anybody that's in the customer service business. Yeah. Um, you know... Uh, uh, like I said, Greg is uh, the one who manages the customer service team, and he and, and Philip, you know, pick out the they pick desk, you know, to use. And I know that they are very good at picking things out. You know, I just go with their suggestions uh, most all the time because I know how they think, and I I think like them. So I, if Greg picked it out, I know it must be pretty darn good. <laughs> Well, you know, I want to talk a little bit more about your social networking as a uh, for your business. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we do that, uh, I think we should probably talk about a sponsor, though. Yeah, let's let's talk about our first sponsor for this episode, and that is One Password. And One Password, of course, we use all day long. I use all day long to create strong, secure, unique passwords across all of my devices. And one of the things that I really like about it that I just take for granted because it, it works so seamlessly is I was on a, I got signed up for a new service because of a new organization that I joined today. And it's one of those things where you get signed up for the service. And of course they email you your password, right? Because that's a very secure thing to do. And your password's like six characters long. It's like, you know, pencil or something like that. And so I'm like, oh, well, thank you for emailing me my password and and having it to be this ridiculous thing. So the first thing that I do when I go to log into the service and set up my profile is I click on that accounts tab and I say, okay, we're going to change this. 
So I go into one password and, and I say, let's create a randomly generated password. And I take that little slider and I slide it all the way up to whatever the maximum amount is that I think it will allow me to create a password. And I get this nice, completely randomly generated gibberish password that I will never, ever, ever remember with the generated password form. And I say, okay, let's, let's go with this and pick this. And one password will randomly pick that password and, and pop it into the website. And I click the OK button, and then at the very tippity top of my browser, it will say, hey, I just saw that you filled a new password in for this website. I've already got one here. Do you want to save this password, or do you want to replace the one that you've already got? And I just say, oh, yeah, update that stupid password that they created for me automatically, and I never, ever have to think about it again. And if for some reason, because some websites are funky in the way that they're coded, one password didn't automatically catch it, you don't have to worry about, I'm never going to remember what that super strongly generated password was because it keeps a list of your last several remembered passwords and it will say, okay, Katie, on this date, you filled in this randomly generated password on this website. So you can just go in and manually update one password. And that was really one of my biggest barriers to trying to create all of these strong, super secure passwords that I had no idea what they were is how, how was I ever going to, you know, what if I forgot one or what if I missed one? And that just never happens with one password. Yeah, you know, I had someone in my uh, in my day job the other day say, "Hey, you know, I know daylight savings is coming up," and I said, "Yeah, I know." And he said, "Well, that means you're going to change all your passwords, right?" <laughs> and it, <laughs> it kind of blew my mind because I didn't expect that person to have any idea who you know this whole uh, podcast that it even existed. <laughs> but I've talked about it so often. But daylight savings is coming up, and using one password, it makes it very easy to go through and change your, ma- your major passwords, your PayPal account, your banking account. And I always find that as a good way to do it. Uh, you know, just there's a right way and a wrong way to do passwords, and one password makes it easier. It, it helps take out that DEF barrier. DEFCON 5 passwords? Yeah, exactly. The stuff, yeah. if someone gets into, they could take your money. You, you don't want those to be uh, old passwords. Even if you have a secure one, it's a good idea to switch it up once in a while. And, you know, one password really does narrow the gap between convenience and security, which is what we're looking for. And, you know, it's not that much money to, to do it right. And everyone I've introduced to this loves it. If you've already got it, I suggest you introduce somebody to it because it's, it's just going to make such a huge difference. And, and if you're a geek and you're listening to this and you put somebody on one password, you never have to hear that, get that call from that person saying, Oh, my password was hacked, you know, and then you find out that their password was their last name. Or used on 20 different other websites, and now everything is compromised. Yeah. So it's a, just a great solution. Uh, we really appreciate them sponsoring the show. You can get 20% off the software if you go to the link on our website. If you prefer to get it through the Mac App Store, it's forty nine ninety nine, And that allows you to install it on all the Macs that are connected through that account, which is what I did for my family. Uh, if you're on Windows, you can get a bundle for a, a $69.99 at the website. You get both the Windows and the Mac version, so you can, you know, walk the line. And uh, if you're on iOS, uh, for $14.99, you can get the Pro version, which works both on the iPad and the on the iPhone. Or you can buy either single one for $10. They just keep making it better. In fact, they just came out with an update recently for the iOS version that is really super. Uh, constantly making it better. Check it out and let them know you heard about them through us. So, Gene, how has all of this social media, we've got Twitter, we've got Facebook, we've got LinkedIn, we've probably got a, a app.net now. I just saw that there were changes with app.net. 
Um, I'm sure there are others. I don't think anybody uses MySpace anymore, but I'm sure if anybody does, you probably have a MySpace account to cover them. Um, (laughs) How has social media changed the marketing game and and how are you using it to, to make the customer experience better? Um, well, I think it's changed marketing and, you know, business in general in so many ways. It's, it's, uh, mind boggling. Um, but the major way that I see is that there, it's a, a, a much more natural, um, intimate channel of communication for, um, customers and the people who make the products. Um, and that's what I like about it. Um, so what we use it for um primarily I mean I use it for you know my own uh I have my own Twitter account of course and I do follow a lot of people in our business that's how you know it's to, for me that's the water cooler you know of the the stay at home working person is you know gets all the gossip on Twitter um we and I I will occasionally you know promote some smile thing in my own Twitter account, but I try not to be that person who only, you know, talks about, um, stuff they're trying to sell you. Um, the, uh, the company Twitter accounts, uh, we have one for hex expander and PDF pen and for smile. Um, we started after I'd been on Twitter for quite a while and sort of understood how Twitter worked, at least to my, you know, uh, to some extent and that um what those um are great for getting you know really short questions uh do you have this does it do that or i'm i'm you know i'm angry because of this um the it, i follow all that on twitter and um you know both um following the mentions that people do of our products but i also have a persistent search so that if people don't actually use an at mention, you know, or a hashtag mention, but just mention the, you know, in the text, I, you know, see most of those. And, and how do you um, do that? What kind of, are you using any, because I know Twitter wants to focus more on business. That's kind of their business model, I guess. <laughs> yeah. how, how are you doing that? What what kind of Twitter applications or tools are you using? Well, I just use the saved search um, in Twitter which, you know, if I have a say, for example, a search for text expander, um, you know, I keep that saved. And so, um, so that, and that those searches populate on, you know, other devices. Um, I can, you know, I, I just do them once, um, set them up once. But uh, recently I started subscribing to Hootsuite um, because not for, searching per se, but for collaboration. Um, sometimes there's a tweet that I just don't know the answer to. Sometimes I go on vacation. Sometimes I, 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 I don't work on the weekends, you know? And so, um, one of our customer support, um, folks who's very Twitter savvy, I said, would you mind covering Twitter for me on the weekend? So that like, if something, you know, that's the nightmare, the PR nightmare, you don't want to find out on Monday morning that something went wrong with your software and 5 million people tweeted about it and said you were the worst company ever. So, <laughs> so I like to have coverage for that. Not that that would happen. No, I'm not familiar uh, <laughs> with, with, with Hootsuite. What is that? So Hootsuite is a um, service that lets you um, pull together 
um, feeds from your various Twitter accounts into its interface, both on the web and um, on the iPad and iPhone, that um, you can see all the tweets coming into the, say, the text expander account. And if I reply to one, it marks it replied, and it shows that I was the one who replied to it. So that way, the next person if, on the weekend so sees it, says, oh, she already replied to that. I don't have to worry about that one. Because, you know, it's not like email. You don't really see a thread um, the way you do with that. So also, I can if I get a tweet like I got today about a question about whether OCR was multi-threaded, and I knew that was a, a yes or no question, and I, and I just assigned it to Greg. Um, so that, and that way, um, I don't have to write to Greg, say, is OCR multi-threaded? He writes back to me, <laughs> says, yes, it is. And then I tweet it, you know, something basic like that. It, we, we eliminate steps and I can delegate, which is one of my goals of 2012, um, delegation. And, uh, so I, I would recommend Hootsuite. I mean, I'm just getting into it now. Um, it's, um, and, uh, you know, if you have to manage more than one Twitter account and you want more than one person to help you manage them. And I recommend you have more than one person helping you manage them for those reasons that I said up front, that you, you have to be able to take time off. <laughs> and sleep. So, and sleep. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. well you, need, you need someone on the other side of the world managing the Twitter account. Yes. Sleep, I guess. It, I, so, yeah, I suppose. So are we are we going to go into Facebook now? You think we should? Yeah, David, you can just go sit in a corner for a while. If you David, want. no, I'm just kidding. Actually, every time I spend time with Jean, she makes me feel bad about Facebook. She's like, you know, <laughs> you really just need to get on there and just deal with it. You know, and, I, I'm I'm on there, but I'm using it less and less and less and less. Jean, are you finding that people are are merging, moving away from Facebook, or moving away from some of these social media sites in general? No, Are I we don't over think it? so. I think or we're, maybe I'm over it. You're over it. David's over it. I'm over it. You know, in the sense that we're jaded and we, you know, we are we are not using it the way the vast majority of people use it, which is for, you know, really social stuff, keeping in touch. Um, on Facebook, David, just all you need to have is a page. You don't have to be a person who people friend. Um, you know, that's all I'm saying. That's what I'm, all I'm going to say. You don't have to have to, you don't have to have friends, damn it. You can just be, uh, but I think you, you know, you should have that, but yeah, anyway, that's my, um, you know, it's just a branding thing. You've got books now, you've got a, a, a brand. You have to get on Facebook. I'm sorry. You're famous man. That's yeah. one more thing I have to check. And then. I, I just hate the idea of getting the email from some person who wasn't my friend in high school. See, that wants to be ha- my friend. Then <laughs> I say no. Then, then I go to the reunion and hear what a jerk I am. Oh, it's not that bad. Anyway, yeah. I, I mean, it's just anyway. You, you, I can understand that. I, I don't love Facebook. I've all my friends would go say to Google Plus. I would be really happy because I, I like Google Plus better in the sense that it's more open and not as tricky. I think Facebook is a very tricky company with it, making changes all the time. And, and, and they have a completely illogical user interface and setup. I never feel like I'm really seeing 
everything I should be seeing in Facebook. And, and that's unlike Twitter where you can always go and look at your, your Twitter feed is there and you can read every tweet if you miss some tweets, but Facebook, it's easy to miss stuff. So that yeah. I don't like that. I don't like that, but no, I, I get it. I, I think you absolutely need Facebook with the yeah. type of business you guys do. And uh, yeah. I guess the question is at what point do I need it? Hopefully I haven't got there yet. Because it's just, I just, I, I honestly, my brain hurts right now just, just thinking about it. There, there's a little Facebook icon on the Hootsuite website. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it just, it's just hurting me looking at it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're not alone, and I don't blame you. But um, I, I would say if you come out with your third book, you, you, you've got a company going. <laughs> you need a Facebook page. Yeah. Um, but. Who knows? I mean, yeah. or never do it. You know, it's not going to make it's it, it. It you're going to be successful doing what you do. I mean, I should go back to my original piece of advice, which is if it doesn't seem right to you, then don't do it. Um, and because it won't work for you, if and I so I can see that. Um, yeah. But yeah, Facebook is harder to to manage for the you know a lot of reasons. One is that you don't have like instant access to the people who follow you. Um, you know, I can always at send an at reply to somebody, you know, who says something about text expander, you know, has a question I, I can, I can chime in, but Facebook, you can't really monitor it that way. And um, I mean, you can sort of monitor mentions, but since, you know, in theory people, you can't see stuff on people's pages if they're not your friend. Um I don't know. So we basically use it. We post up um, tips there. Uh, we have some great tips um, and some product news. And I do s- occasional giveaway. Um, people love, give, you know, love to get free stuff on Facebook, especially. And um, I'm still new at it, you know, on Facebook for marketing, Facebook marketing. And um, I, um but I think, you know, I, I just because I don't love Facebook, I can't, you know, I can't really afford to just ignore it. <laughs> well, and, and it's interesting, the comment that you're new at it. We all are new at this stuff, and we're all trying to figure out how it all fits together. Uh, you know, we live in Orange County, California. We've got some good friends at Disney. I used to work for Disney. And and we're hearing through the grapevine how that major company is struggling to figure out how to incorporate all the social media into their business which is a very public facing business. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's really, you know, it's new stuff for all of us. And I don't think anybody has the answers yet. Just like many years ago, people were trying to figure out how you program for the web and what's going to become the language of the web. I think right now, what's going to be the language of social media and how does it fit? Um, mm-hmm. I don't think we know. Even if you look at the profitability of some of these companies and while, you know, Twitter is doing some some strange behavior as they try to figure out how they're going to make money and Facebook is struggling with the fact that they're not really meeting the original expectations people had for them when they went public. I just yeah. think er- everything is up in the air right now. And uh, we live in interesting times for this stuff. So in a couple of years, it may be some completely different service or there may be a new way we use it. Who knows? But... It's it, yeah. I, I I'm it, sure it will evolve. It will it, evolve, and it's because it's so you know it, people. People are shaping it. You know, not just companies, but the actual users have a lot of um, you know influence over how things evolve. Um, I you know I think you just if you're in business, um, you can't 
afford to just say, oh, I don't want to be that marketing douchebag on Facebook or Twitter, right? Because yeah. <laughs> you you got to figure out a way to do those things, you know, still staying true to your own, you know, values of not being a jerk. You don't have to be a jerk on Facebook or Twitter. Um, you know, I think that that will, um, you like everything else, you got to use your own judgment, but I don't think you can afford to just write it off because you don't like it. All right. Well, listen, I want to talk about programming and I also want to talk about some of your favorite apps, but before we do that, I'd like to talk about another sponsor and that's Drobo. So we've had, we've had Drobo on as a sponsor now for a little while and we've had several emails from, from listeners who are getting invested in Drobo and uh, there's something about this that I think just fits for Mac users. So what Drobo is is it's a uh, it's a network storage device, or it, or it plugs directly in your Mac, depending on which one you get. But it takes a lot of the the geekiness out of setting up external storage because Drobo does all the thinking for you. It's not RAID one or it's not RAID zero. It's it's Drobo, and by that I mean you don't have to use matched hard drives. You can take the collection of drives you've got sitting in a drawer and just start loading it into the Drobo. And they've got the the standard Drobo that takes the standard size uh, computer hard disk drives. They've also got now a smaller one that takes this, the laptop size drives. That's coming out. Actually, that one's not out quite yet, but that's coming. Uh, and the way this works is the Drobo looks at all the drives you stick in there and it figures out with its own map how it's going to store things on there in a way that not only allows you to use all those drives effectively, but also always has redundant copy of whatever's on there on a different drive. So you can have you know, your photo library or something like that. If a drive goes bad, you're not going to lose the data. You can just replace that one drive. And it makes it really easy because the device has on it lights. It's, it's green or red. Basically, if it's green, you're fine. If it's red, you got a problem. And then there's, a, there's some other indicators that can tell you, like, if it's running out of space. But in general, that's it. You don't have to think about it. You plug it into your Mac or you plug it into your network. You load it up with drives and you forget about it. And it's really amazing when you have something go wrong because you don't lose data. I, I had a power surge where I lost one of my Drobo drives didn't lose any data. I just lost the top drive in the system. I replaced it. The Drobo thought about it for a while. And before I knew it, I had my data copied again. So it's a really effective system for people who don't want to spend time managing their hardware storage devices. And what I'm really enjoying about my Drobo, like you, David, I've got this Drobo FS, is there's something about having this nice big pot of storage and not having all of these hard drives cluttered around the house everywhere. And I'm finding things to put on that. You know, now that I've got this MacBook Air with a smaller solid-state hard drive, I didn't get the big 512 drive like you did. I I stuck with 256. I'm finding I don't have to have everything on my main computer drive. And I'm archiving a lot of this stuff off onto the Drobo, and I'm able to keep for archive purposes these things. And with the Drobo attached to my network, I can access them. You know, it's not a big deal. I can access them from anywhere in my house on any of my Macs. Or when guest computers come onto my network that I've specifically given access to the Drobo because it has specific access controls that you can determine who gets access and to what if you want them to, or they can see nothing on your Drobo and that's fine too. 
you know, it's great. I've, I've created like this magic installer disc like you did on my Drobo. And I'm just helping my dad through a complete nuke and pave of, of his laptop. He's been having some problems with it. And all of those disc images and all of those softwares to download are sitting on the Drobo. So I brought his laptop over here, plugged it into the network. And, you know, reloading was a snap because all of the stuff I needed was sitting on the Drobo. It's been, yeah. it's been great. And it's, it's, it's really smart. It doesn't just take half of your storage. For instance, if you put four terabytes in the Drobo, you're not going to just get two terabytes of storage because of the way it works. You actually get probably closer to three. And it depends on which drives you use, obviously. But it, it's very reassuring to have it on your network, to know that you've already got two copies of your data in that little black box. It feels good walking by it and seeing the green lights up and down, knowing that your data is safe. And it's a really good investment if you're making something important on your computer that you don't want to lose. I mean, just think about what it would cost you to recover data if you lost it. This is this is the solution I've I bought. I think the very first generation one when they came out. I'm thrilled to have them as a sponsor, and I recommend you go check it out. You can find more information over at Drobo.com, and if you decide to pick one up, please let them know that we sent you. So. so- Gene, we have asked pretty much every developer that has come onto this show, what is their advice for people who are just getting started out in development? And they all say, well, you know, I did this, I did this, I might have done things differently. But you are someone who has a career, has done a whole lot of different things in your life. And I don't know, you'll explain it to us, but for now you have just decided I'm going to learn how to be an app developer. And <laughs> you figured out how to do it and you're doing it. So tell us about what motivated you and how you, how you're doing it and is it working? Well, um, I, um, you know, i I attend the worldwide developer conference every year. Um, even though I am not a developer, I really want to go to that. <laughs> I don't understand anything that goes on there, but I think that'd be a lot of fun. You can just come to San Francisco, Katie, and we'll hang out. <laughs> hang out. Um, I think there's starting to be this kind of, you know, shadow WWDC going now. Anyway, with the way how it's getting too hard to get tickets. Anyway, um, I go to the developers conference because that's where all my business is. You know, all the contacts that I make through the year and work. You know, it, it made sense to go, but um, I was you know, I have to say appalled. I knew it was going to be mostly men, but it's like overwhelmingly male uh, group. I think you told me there were three women in the room, including yourself. (laughs) Well, Well, you know, it's not quite that bad, but there's never a line in the ladies room at Macworld. No, it's, um, yeah. I mean, there's never anyone in the ladies room at WWTC. Uh, if we go by that, uh, met, the metric, the ladies room metric, um, the, I, someone told me that it was, uh, about 250 women at this year's WWDC out of 5,000 people. So you can do the math. That's 5%. It's, yeah. it, 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 and I just, you know, I don't, I'm not the type of person to, I don't want to be indignant and irate and cranky about it. I just want to say, Hey, what could we do? What do we, you know, what could we do that would, would help encourage um, this to change? And I, 
I naturally gravitated thinking of kids because I, you know, I like working with kids and um, I'm involved with this program uh, that teaches girls how to be rock stars, you know, rock and roll camp for girls. And I thought, what if girls, what if somebody showed girls how fun it is to make an app (laughs) and got them thinking that, hey, that's something I could do uh, myself. Uh, And um, so that that was really the inspiration for what um, I started, which is called App Camp for Girls, uh, based on the the model from the Rock and Roll Camp for Girls, which is bring uh, oops uh, bring girls in for a week um, and get them to work in a team, you know, to make something by the end of the week that they can be really proud of and say, hey, I never, you know, and have women instructors, you know, showing them the ropes and showing them that women do this too. And so um, that's what App Camp for Girls will will be like. Um, and, and and you've got a website for this started. And yes. We'll stick a link in the show notes. It's appcamp4girls.com. Yes. Of course, I have App Camp for Girls too because I um, – so Very you can't smart. go wrong. Yes. <laughs> that's a little marketing tip there. Cheap. Their name is cheap, and uh, you don't want. I didn't want people to have to spell it out, but I sort of like how it looks with the four. Um, yeah. The um. So that's how uh, the See, problem, of course, is that I'm not a developer, right? So I really needed to um, get up to speed quickly on what really goes into making an iPhone app or an iPad app. So then you got a uh, you got a couple books and a programming buddy that was supposed to help you learn this, <laughs> yes. right? Yes, I had a programming buddy, um, uh, but uh, which was David, in case nobody got that. Um, <laughs> uh, all I can say is I was glad when David dropped out of being my programming buddy because he was already he was writing a book, he was going on vacation, he was he's a lawyer all day and I, I was feeling pretty uh, intimidated if David could also learn objective C at the same time, I would know that he's an alien. Um, but well, he keeps yeah. trying to tell people that Brett Terpstra is a robot, but I think it's just a cover for him. <laughs> uh, no, Brett is yeah, a it's... robot. <laughs> so, uh, um, yeah, so I, I got the, um, the, Objective C programming book from uh, by Aaron Hillegas, the uh, big nerd ranch guide to Objective C, and David. I mean, David had that too, um, and I just worked through it, and I just it was great. I really got a lot out of it. <laughs> I surprised yeah. myself. I can tell you as someone who's been playing on the fringe of this stuff for years now, and if I had time, I would really sit down and figure it out. But I think programming books are the type of book that is very easy to begin and very difficult to finish. I mean, everybody starts those things with the best of intentions. And somewhere along the line, they find one chapter that's got, you know, they they understand everything and then they run into a little bit of a problem Mm-hmm. And then they just try and get past that. And the next chapter, it's like a math course. It it starts to compound upon itself. And at some place, yeah, they run out of snowballs. gas. Yeah. And I well, think that the, the Hill of Gas book is really just probably the, the best place to go if you want to learn this stuff. Because it seems like that book is run at a pace that you won't you're, – you're less likely to run out of gas. I mean, the only thing that happened to me is I ran out of time. But yeah. I was understanding it. I just couldn't keep up with you. 
Right. And I was under time pressure. You, you, you didn't have to go to, I signed up to go to Big Nerd Ranch. Um, and that's a one seven day course. Not, I, I don't say one week because it's not a Monday, Friday thing. It's Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday worth of programming. And I did not want to be the person who had no clue, you know, because I know most of the people who go there are already programmers of some sort. So I was motivated to work fast. And so, and so I started, you know, just working through the book. Um, and there's great forums, actually. That's what helped me out a lot. Once I didn't have David as my programming buddy, and I, I went to the forums and I thought, oh, here's other people, you know, who are working through the book. And um, even though they're not, it's not that lively of a discussion, people put up questions and they do get answered by either someone from Big Nerd Ranch or, you know, another uh, student. So if we were talking to people about how do you get started in programming, and if you want to do iPhone um, or iPad apps, I can't say enough good things about starting with the Objective-C book. You have to start with that book. I tried a couple years ago to start Craig Hockenberry's book for iPhone programming, The Missing Manual. And it said, if you don't know much about Objective-C, you should probably learn that. But I didn't do that. <laughs> and I just tried to sort of bludgeon my way through the book. And I yeah. made a, fla a flashlight app, and I quit. And that was it. <laughs> yeah, because so, you, you, you didn't know the basics. I didn't understand. Yeah, I just didn't know the basics. And I, I was afraid of the basics, actually. And I'm not afraid of them anymore. I think that um, Objective-C is learnable, you know, if you're at all logically minded. Um, and in some ways, if you're not a programmer like I am, um, you don't have all these preconceived notions and habits about programming that learning something new you have to try to fit it into. And I noticed that in the class. So there were about 20 of us and pretty much as I expected, everybody else had a lot of programming experience. And we did spend quite a, not a lot of time, but it was always a question of, we learned something new and invariably somebody would have to say, well, in Ruby, we do da, 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 or Python, da, 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 this, you know, and, you know, so for me, I'm like, hey, I don't even, I tune those questions out because <laughs> I, yeah. I didn't care. I'm like, I'm more learning Objective-C and then I'm learning iPhone, pro iOS programming. Um, anyway, so yeah, I went, so I did go to Big Nerd Ranch. I finished the whole Objective-C book. Um, I was so proud of myself. I could hardly stand it. And then I started in on the iOS programming book, um, also from Big Nerd Ranch. And I got a couple chapters into that before, you know, I actually was going to Big Nerd Ranch. So I, if I had it to do, knowing what I know now, I would have started early enough so I could have done both books before I got there. Because um, I, you know, I just would have been more prepared. And the books are really good. You can work through them on your own. They're the clearest, most clearly written tech books I think I've ever read. And they never assume that you know what they mean by something, even if they've explained it a page before, you know, or said, they never say, okay, start another project. You know, they say like, go to here, file, new, cocoa, this, you know, and so, you you know, you never feel like they, they see it from your point of view, yeah. um, that you, you know, they don't assume anything. The 
the, the instructors were awesome. The whole class was great. I'm so glad I went. It was just a hugely exciting and challenging, but wonderful experience. And I've already forgotten 90% of what I learned there, but I'm trying to keep up with it. You know, I, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I started to write an app of my own and, uh, I, you know, I, it was great, but even if you can't, um, go to big nerd ranch, it's certainly expensive. Um, I just, you know, knew that if I was going to do app camp for girls, I had to do this crash course in programming and everybody says this is the best one. So I just, you know, bit the bullet and took the money out of my savings account and went. But the, uh, um, just the books themselves are great. There's a, they have, um, there's all kinds of resources out there. Um, and I think, you know, if you got on the forums and work through the books, you, you start to make a, a headway and learning to be an iPhone programmer or iPad programmer, a software programmer. Um, so you really started from zero, though. I mean, you didn't have computer training, uh, computer programming training, although you had some HTML experience. Yeah. I mean, and, I knew a little bit about JavaScript. You know, I could sort of make my way around in JavaScript, but that was it. So you got you got the two Big Nerd Ranch books and you worked your way through. And if you hadn't gone to the Big Nerd Ranch school, do you think you'd still be in a position to build your own app now uh i think so i i mean i i would have to start making friends in portland i mean of course i have a lot of friends who are programmers in portland but i'd have to start like bugging them to help me with programming (laughs) um because and i'll probably do that anyway so any of you who are listening just be prepared i will be asking you for help um the you, you need other people you need feedback you know somehow yeah, and you know those communities are everywhere. I went and spoke at one in San Diego recently. I know here uh-huh. in Orange County, there's one they meet every Saturday morning. Yeah, and they just bring their Macs and they program apps and they look over each other's shoulder and give each other tips and help. Um, yeah. this is really manageable. I, I've always see the problem I've always had is we've been asking this question now for three years to to app developers, mm-hmm. and you know the trouble is it's it's like going to someone who's you know the world renowned brain surgeon and saying, you know, how do I get started with first aid? And it's so far, they've gone so far beyond it that it's, I think it's hard for them to, to tell somebody how to get started. Whereas that's why I wanted to ask you that question, because you really are kind of at the beginning. And I think that you've taken the right course. I, I, if I want, if I had the time, I would do exactly what you did. I'd get those two books, I'd work through them. And if I had the money and the resources, I'd go take the Big Nerd Ranch class. But I think you could start writing your own app just having gotten through those two books. Yes, you can if you're motivated. And and it's not a huge investment just to get the books. I mean, I'm just looking at them on Amazon. I love that it has a tricycle on the cover, by the way. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, it's it's 25 bucks on Amazon for the for the book. A little, you know, 15 bucks if you get the Kindle edition. Yeah. I, mean, I recommend getting the Kindle edition and the hardcover, but the Kindle is what I used because I could make little notes in there. Plus, you can search. You know what? You should totally get the Kindle edition. Even I, you know, and maybe they gave us the hard copy at camp, so now I have both. But I even ended up using the Kindle edition in in camp because um, here's what happens to me is. I'll be working somewhere into something and I'll get to a point and I'll read something and I'll say, 
I'm not sure what that means or where did I learn about that before? And then I can search on exactly that, you know, if it's a class, some kind of tag, some kind of method. Um, and I think, ah, uh, you know, all I have to do is search on it and I get a whole list of where it appears in the book. And I can go tap on the first appearance, say, and say, oh, yeah, that's where they introduced that. That's why this is this way, you know. So the searching, I think, is pretty pretty nifty for this kind of book. Um, you know, normally I don't search through a book that I'm reading, but <laughs> I uh, this one I constantly doing search. And also I make notes, you know. I'll, I'll, I'll make little notes when I have a question so that if I happen to be able to have somebody nearby that I can ask the question, then I, I don't have to flip through the book to see where I wrote some question. You know, you can look at your, your annotations or bookmark a page or whatever. So I say get the Kindle version for sure. So we can finally answer the question to listeners. If you want to start programming, get your hands on some of the big Nerd Ranch books, download the Xcode tools, which are free on your Mac, and find somebody local that is willing to help you woodshed this stuff. Yeah. And and you you got to just clear space in your schedule to work on it every day. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I you think... have to keep up with it. I mean, that's one of the reasons ultimately why I was a bad programming buddy. Because I realized, even if I can get through this book with Gene, I don't have the time to spend, you know, working on this. This is something you have to do every day. And I, yeah. I just don't have the time right now. I'm, no. It's good. I'm. I'm got my hands full enough as I'm dealing with automation tools and and those kind types of programming. I'm not going to go into Xcode right now, but at some point sure. I could see myself doing it. I, I definitely want to. I look at it like the ultimate tinker tool set, where you start, you know, mm -hmm. just plugging things together. And I know it's a that's a very simplistic view of it, and programmers are right now banging the dashboard. <laughs> but uh, I, I really would love to play in that playground at some point, but just not yeah. right now. Yeah. So if I can do it, I mean, any, uh, well, I don't want to say anybody can do it because I am, you know, I'm good at math. I did take a programming class when I was in college back in the day when we had punch cards. And so, you know, it wasn't completely um, brand new to me. But um, but I am, you know, I think if you're if you want to do it, that's the way to go. Um so. All right, so so now bring us up to date on App Camp for Girls, because I know people listening yeah. are interested. I, I, yes. I have a 10-year-old that's already saying that she wants to go. I know. I really want her to be in the camp, like, or else we'll just have to start the Orange County branch uh, sooner rather than later. Um, so it's something I've never done before, you know, starting uh, an organization from scratch. Um, I've worked in startups before, but I've never been the starter upper. Um, and uh, so I say, what I say is we're in the, um, the early planning stages. Um, a lot of people want to help. It's great. I mean, everybody is enthusiastic. Every, everybody I talk to and sit down, you know, to, to, to explain the idea and get um, feedback. Always, I get such great suggestions. Um, I really know that this is something that, um, just for, based on all the feedback I've gotten and, and just the, the kind of energy and excitement that people get when, when I talk about it, I know that um, this, is, this is an idea whose time has come. And hopefully I'll be, the, I'll be able to be worthy of you know, getting it off the ground. Um, the plan is next summer, 2013, uh, to 
um, have one, maybe two uh, sessions uh, for girls 12 to 14. Um, the idea being to get them before they get too jaded. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that the, the, the um, we'll have um, women software developers who, you know, iPhone, who have made iPhone apps themselves to come and work with uh, the girls in groups, small groups, probably groups of four. Um, there'll be a development team, you know, and they'll, they'll um, uh, brainstorm their apps. They'll uh, come up with designs. They'll, uh, and all the while, we'll probably have some um, kind of templates, you know, to give them sort of a basis for working on an idea. So, cause obviously one week is uh, not very long to make an app, especially from scratch and, you know, with girls, <laughs> but <laughs> I know it can be done. I, as I, especially after being at big nerd ranch, I, I, I'm now I'm really confident that we can structure it in such a way that it'll be meaningful and fun at the same time. Cause it has to be fun or it's, you know, it's, it's camp. It's, <laughs> It's not school. So Yeah, you don't want it to become this death march, right? Yeah. Right. So we'll have stuff like um I had this great idea when I was at Big Nerd Ranch because they in that Objective C book, you probably even remember this, David, because it's in the beginning. They talk about a program like it's a recipe. <laughs> and the recipe might have like sub recipes, you know, like the breadcrumbs, you have to make them before you can keep going with the recipe for the fried chicken or whatever. Yeah. And I thought, why don't we do a real recipe, <laughs> you know, and that they can um, get the idea of how important it is to write the instructions out very clearly. And that's, you know, that's one of the things they emphasize at Big Nerd Ranch is, you know, you just have to remember how, how dumb a computer is and you have to explain it, everything. Um, you can't t- it take anything for granted that it would, it can't understand what you're thinking. You have to break it down into the tiniest little um, steps. So I've noticed uh, that with Siri. Yeah. <laughs> so um, another thing we're, we're going to do um, is at the end of camp, um, I'm going to take the campers to a meeting of the Women's Investment Network, and they can pitch their app ideas to a, a group of um, angel investors you know, for, for the, for the experience of, uh, explaining and their ideas and showing them off because that's, you know, I think that's going to be what's exciting. It sure was exciting for me. That first app that I loaded on my phone, I, I literally, I had to stop and run around the house and go like, yay, I did it. And it was the, you know, it was nothing. It's nothing at all, you know, usable or fancy or, you know, no icon, no nothing. And I'm like, it's on my phone. You know, I wrote this stuff and now it's on my phone. Yeah, so, I remember when I was a kid, the same thing, just doing basic and making the something appear on the screen because it was my idea. Mm-hmm. And they were, they were terrible programs, but it was so thrilling. I mean, I still yeah. remember that. Yeah. That, I think it's amazing that, that there were the first, the, the number of women programmers as shown in your, you know, experience at WWDC is is similar to my experience in this too. In the years I've been dealing with computers and people in the computer business, there are very few. 
And there's really no reason why there shouldn't be more. I mean, there, yeah. I, I'm I not even sure how we got here, to tell you the truth. But I, when I heard that you were doing this, that's when I really said, we, we just got to have Gene on so we can talk about this. Because I'm sure that we have listeners <laughs> who can help you or may have some young budding programmer in their life that may want to go find you at this app yes. for girls. Yes. So definitely go to the website. There's a, um, I mean, there's an email address if you just want to email me, but uh, there's a sign up form for the email newsletter, which I already sent out the first one um, to the 17 people who signed up for it. Cause you know, they're my friends and they knew I was working on the site <laughs> and I, uh, um getting ready to send out another one um in the next week or so but the um i love to hear from anybody who has uh um interest in doing anything uh um for whether it's um you know contributing um ideas or materials or coming and helping us out um women uh, software developers, especially, I need to talk to you. <laughs> I need to recruit enough women to make this uh, thing happen. So, <laughs> Well, Jean, I, I wish you all the luck on this in the world, and we're going to continue to talk about it as well as you get it further along the line, because I think this is something that is, is worthy of attention and uh, attendance. So. Like That's I said, good. I think we're. I think my daughter may be planning to go up there. We're we're talking about it because she, she she's right in that. Well, she's only ten now. She's turning eleven uh, in mm-hmm. next month, so she'll be around twelve next summer. And she's the kind of kid who loves this kind of stuff. And I think she'd be totally open to to checking this out. That'd be great. I, I would yeah. love to have her. Um, yeah. And uh, yes, thanks for letting me just talk about this i'm so excited about it and uh i'm i'm excited to share it with all the other geeks and you know it's not just women guys are very enthusiastic you know i don't think guys like working in a business that's all guys either (laughs) well also a lot of us have daughters and you know we you know i'm not happy about the way women are treated and uh, i'd like to do something for that and to the extent that this helps this is a little another chip right so Mm mm-hmm Anyway, okay, so I'll get off my uh, soapbox on that. But everybody, please go to the website if you have any interest in that. It's uh, App Camp for Girls, any way you spell it. And uh, let's talk about our last sponsor, and then let's just talk about a few of your favorite apps. So um, our last sponsor is Fujitsu. And, and more and more in my everyday life, I am meeting people who are saying, I really want to learn more about this paperless thing. I really want to start the process of going paperless and organizing my life and and getting rid of all of this paper and all of this, this clutter in my life. And the first place that I tell them that they have to start, as I said, you need to get a scanner. You've got to stop using that flatbed scanner that you used to scan your photos back 15, 20 or 15 or 10 years ago. I guess we didn't have, you know, everybody didn't have scanners 20 years ago. And I said in that little multifunction printer scanner fax thing that you've got, that's not going to cut it easy either because as soon as you start trying to scan volumes and volumes of paper with one of these things, you're going to start pulling your hair out and you're going to give up and you're going to say, I'm not going to do this. There is no way I'm getting through that filing cabinet with all of the stuff that I I have to scan using that nasty thing. What you need to do is you need to get a scan snap. You know, it's funny. I wrote in my paperless book how – you could try to do it with a flatbed scanner or just a regular scanner, but it was going to make your job much harder. And 
not a week goes by that I don't get an email from somebody saying, you know, I read that and I said, no, I can do it. I can do it with my old, you know, $100 scanner that my HP or whatever. And it just didn't work for them. Then they got their hands on a scan snap and now they're in paperless bliss because a document scanner like this is exactly what you need to make it happen. It's, it's designed to eat paper. So you put a pile of paper in it, you push one button, it captures it. It'll OCR it if you want. It's got uh, scanners on both sides. So when you run a single sheet of paper through that's two sided, it scans both sides at the same time. And it's wicked fast. I, I love my ScanSnap, use it all the time. I, I, I've converted many lawyer friends and non-lawyer friends to using this technology because it's just so simple. So they've got three versions. Now, the ScanSnap 1500M is the one that's made um, for the Mac. And it plugs right in. It sits on your desktop. It can hold up to 50 sheets. It's very quick. It's the one I have, and I use it all the time. Yeah, it's about uh, the size of a small shoebox. Yeah, and then there's the 1300i, which is uh, it's a, it works for both the PC and the Mac, and it's the newest one. And it's a little smaller, but it does have a 10-sheet feeder, so you can just put paper on it and let it run through. And it's got the same features. It'll scan two sides at once, and it, it runs through. This is a great scanner if you want to keep it in your drawer, for instance. I think a lot of people use it like if they don't have room on their desk to keep a permanent scanner, but they want to have one close by. You stick it in a drawer, and when you're ready to scan, you pull it out. And, and it will also work off of USB power, so it can be portable. Yeah, if you want to. It's a little bigger. So if you're going on a trip and you want to use a sheet feeder, you'd want the 1300i. And if you're okay, uh, you just want something, the smallest possible scanner to take Ultra with you. Ultra-portable in-your-pocket scanner, practically. In your pocket. I'm not sure I'd say that unless <laughs> you got some really pocket. big pockets. you got to have some Anaco-class pockets there. <laughs> Anaco the, uh, could put this in his pocket. Yeah, so ScanSnap S1100, which uh, takes one sheet at a time. There's no feeder, but boy, it's small. And it, it, once again, uses the Fujitsu software. And you really can't understate that. I mean, not only does Fujitsu make great hardware, they also make great software for the Mac. I mean, these guys understand us Mac users. And the software has the OCR built in and a whole bunch of other great features that lets you capture paper effortlessly. And that's the key because once you've done that, that's the hard work. The rest of it, you can use automation tools or hand file things, however you like to do it. And, and you're just set to go. So if you, if you want to go paperless or you got a lot of documents you need to share with people, just take the time, get yourself one of these Fujitsu scan snaps in your set. You can find more information about the ScanSnap line of scanners by going to ez.com slash SSMPU. That stands for ScanSnap NPU. And if you decide to pick one up, please let them know that we sent you and tell them thanks for supporting Mac Power users. Okay, so Gene, you have uh, you run the you run a, a, a software company and do a very good job of getting the word out about what they do. You are revolutionizing uh, the role of women in programming Macs, <laughs> and now you're a developer. So you're doing a lot of things. Tell us two or three of your favorite software apps. Oh, God. Two or three. Okay. Well, um, tell us tell us some of your... What's essential? The essential... Yeah, that, I think I, it's just easier to focus on what do I, what do I install when I get a new when Mac. When you get a new Mac, yeah. Yeah. Uh, launch bar. I, mm-hmm. I, I I love launch bar and I know that I'm only using it to like 10% of its capabilities. There was I, this I, podcast I, that did a show on that. that might be <laughs> Really? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, um, 
but I think it, that's just always worked really well for me um, for, for as a uh, a launch uh, application launcher. And also I use the clipboard um, management, although I wish there were more clipboards, had more spaces. Um, I think it only saves the last 40 things that you've clipped. And Oh, my goodness. You're going to go back for I need to go that. more. I need more. I'm constantly copying and pasting stuff. Um, one password. I love that. I love them. Um, I, you know, I can't imagine surfing the web without one password. <laughs> so, I mean, I probably would spend a lot less money on the web because my passwords and my credit card numbers wouldn't be so handy. And, um, you, and you'd be terrified of, of putting them out there. That's right. So thank you, 1Password, for making me spend so much money on the web. Um, no, seriously, it's really great. I was one of those LinkedIn got hacked, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I had the stupidest password This because I signed up for LinkedIn so long ago before I ever had one password. And it was like a password that was embedded in like half of my passwords. And mm-hmm. I was like, God damn it. <laughs> I gotta change a lot of passwords. And so you can search, you know, you can find all the passwords that you have that use that, you know, word or combination of words. So That is what I did, you know, spent a little time getting myself, you know, back into the good password practices. Um, Yeah, if we all had more time, it it would make a lot of sense to really just audit all of your passwords regularly. Yeah, I think so. Um, A little program, I mean, I don't know, I I, I hate to call program little because I know they, but something that seems um, small um, in the workflow, but I, I'm using it constantly is, uh, a utility called witch. Um, do you, are you guys familiar with that? Um, just like W I T C H and it's from many tricks software. Is that, is that the one that lets you choose between browsers? Choose between windows, open yeah, windows. Uh, switcher. So where is ca- the one that lets you choose between browsers? Yes. Oh, no. If you do command tab, you know, you switch between programs, but, if you do option tab, it shows you a list of all the open windows in all the programs and you go you either, you know, so you can switch back and forth between two windows very easily. Say, um, cause I actually don't use tab browsing so much. I like to have the two windows. I like to see the windows. Um, and so I can switch between two browser windows very easily or, two documents, you know, if I'm in text Wrangler or something and switching between documents. Um, but you can also close windows right in there just the way you can with command tab by um, option W. So which I, you know, I, I miss it right away um, if I don't have it. And apparently it's something that PC users have already, you know, this ability. And so it was filling in for them a whole, um, but for me it was like, oh man, I don't know how I lived without it. And, you know, um, many many tricks is like smile. Every time yeah. <laughs> they come out with something, I end up needing it. You know, yeah. <laughs> if I just spend a little time on their website, I'd probably end up buying all of their apps. I think you would. I mean, they they yeah, they're great. And of course, um, we are um, very friendly with them. Uh, Peter Maurer, the founder, is also the original developer of Text Expander, which is the fourth thing I always install on my Mac. <laughs> Um, because, uh, uh, and we have, you know, continued to have really friendly, uh, relationships with the many tricks with Rob and and Peter. And 
um, they're great guys and, um, yeah, so that's it. So text expander. And then after that, I'm, you know, I wait and see what I need. <laughs> a super duper. I got to put that on pretty, you know, pretty soon. Cause I'm going to want to back up fairly soon. Spam yeah. Civ can't do mail without spam Civ. So right. yeah. Anyway, that's sort of on everybody's list though. Right. All those things. <laughs> Have you worked much, Gene, in the PC software development side at all? Not, not at all. And you know, yeah. I just don't. We we are often, you know, approached with ideas of things we could do in that space. But ultimately, we're just we're Mac and now iPhone and iPad developers, and we do it because we love doing those things. And we're pretty sure we would not love doing Windows. Um, you know, related development and marketing. I, I think it's a, it would be a mess to be the PR person for a Windows software company. It just, I don't know if it's, um, if it's just me, it's definitely my perception that it's not as, I don't want to use the word fun, but it's just not as interesting on the PC side. It seems to me like there's so many brilliant people making uh, Mac software and now iOS software. And it seems like a, a really nice community to be a part of. I'm not sure that exists on the Windows side, and I don't think it's a, a knock against the people making Windows software so much as maybe just the size of it. Yeah, I think it's just a much more cohesive community um, that we have, and that is what makes it interesting and fun and, for me, doable, because I can focus on the things that I know work for the kind of people that I already know. <laughs> And it'll be interesting to see how this works as iOS becomes so huge. Yes. Does the software development community become anonymized like it does on the Windows PC side? I don't know. Yeah. Now, how did you all make the decision? And obviously, it made sense for your business. Or how did you implement, rather, the decision to move into iOS development? Did your current developers learn how to program for iOS? Did you Did you just move in there in a the natural direction? I mean, I have no idea. Is Mac yeah. and iOS programming, if you know one language, you can learn another? I mean, we well, probably should I talk d- about that when we're I, talking about programming, I guess. I know the answer to that question. Okay. <laughs> they are, I mean, the Coco is the language, uh, you know, for ch- doing um, Mac programs and Coco Touch is iOS. And, and if you do the Objective-C book, you actually do one iOS and one Coco uh, Mac program, you know, as part of the exercises towards the end. Um, and the, it's I, I couldn't tell you because obviously I'm a beginner, you know, where things diverge and what you need to know about this or that. But the short answer is we didn't hire anybody to do iOS programs for us. We did them ourselves at the in the beginning um, because, you know, it, it wasn't beyond the expertise of uh, Philip or Greg in the beginning either, you know, I mean, it's not beyond their expertise at all, but in order to, to put out things like PDF pen for iPad and for iPhone, that's a big, big um, development job. And if you want it to come out in this decade, you (laughs) need, we've got a great, uh, they're not going to let you program those (laughs) big nerdy book, like a flashlight. I showed them my my certificate and everything. <laughs> um, not, I don't think, yeah, I don't, I, oh, that's so beyond me. That's like, you know, I just learned how to play Mary Had a Little Lamb, and you're saying, do you want to do Rachmaninoff? Um, uh, that's, um, 
in fact, going to Big, Big Nerd Ranch really opened my eyes up to a lot of, you know, how, wow, how do they do that, you know, all over again, because it's amazing. And uh, yeah, so we have some, we decided we had to go into iOS. I mean, you can, anybody can see that that's, it's not a fad. <laughs> it's no, cool. right. I think it's going to become the thing. It is the, it I think it's the isn't. thing now. <laughs> I mean, I've talked to programmers at Macworld and said, who don't have Mac programs and they're thinking about creating them. And I think, I, I say, actually, you know, I don't think I w- would focus on the Mac at this point. <laughs> if you don't already have a Mac program and you're not that interested in doing stuff for the Mac, don't just do it to get the Mac market because that's, that's small compared to the market you have now. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, so that was the, we started with text expander touch. Um, and then, you know, we knew that at some point we would do PDF pen. Um, but we, we had to wait, you know, that for the uh, operating system to evolve to, you know, we didn't want to do something that was called PDF pen, but it was really nothing. You know, we, we, we ha- had no, wish to just get things out there to get things out there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And one other area that I wanted to go into before we let you go is you are quite the world traveler, uh, (laughs) part for uh, pleasure, but also for your job. I know you spent um, several months, were you in Germany? Um, Um, Kind of trying to learn about how the international market perceives and buys your product. Tell me about, you were in Germany, right? Yes, I was, I was in Munich at at Boinks. Yeah. Uh, Tell me, number one, why you felt like that was an important experience from a marketing perspective, and then about all your cool travel stuff. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I um, really, really like the, the team at Boinks. Uh, Oliver and Florian are like two of my favorite Mac people, and uh, I wanted to go to Germany. I actually lived in Germany when I was in um, my 20s, and... I wanted to just try working from there. So that so you was just really a, sort of a... And said, I think this would be a good business decision for me to go to Germany. <laughs> they won't listen to this whole program probably. So I... Yes, yeah, we're an hour and a half in. It's just us now. It's okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. I, they... Um, no, I think they knew I just wanted to do something new. I'm, I'm definitely a person who has to try new things if it's not obvious already. <laughs> Um, and, uh, I did, I mean, I did work with them on some of their marketing stuff, um, and get some perspective. Uh, it was just good to work with a different software company, regardless of where they were located. But I did try to, you know, get a better handle on, um, non-U.S. markets, which, you know, are many. Um, and that was good. And I'm going to Australia in two weeks. Um, oh, are you going on that Mac Mania cruise? <laughs> I am. That's oh. another important part of my job, you know. I got I got to get me on one of those. You should. You both of you guys should be speakers. Um it, it's the it, whole two weeks off of work thing plus travel yes. that's kind of problematic. Yes. And you have to prepare for it. It's not like uh it's not a pleasure pure pleasure cruise for the speakers. Um, and you can't just wing it, you mean? No. <laughs> well, we could totally wing it. Yeah. Um, you would never wing it. You guys are not wing, you know, wing it type of people. Uh, and anyway, the, um, the cruise starts on the 7th of November, 
but I'm going to go, go spend two weeks in Sydney because I've never been there. And I like, that's what I like to do is go somewhere and just stay in one place and hang out and I see how it is to work from there. I'm not taking those two weeks off. I'm going to be online. I'll be 17 hours ahead of you guys. <laughs> so uh, I, I think it'll be interesting. It was interesting to see the effect of time zone difference, you know, when I was in Munich um, versus California, um, when I was, uh, how that affects the workflow of the company. Uh, It has a very decided effect on the workflow, obviously. So, So, So with all this traveling, give us a couple of your best travel technology tips. Um, so I have this thing I totally love called a power monkey. Um, my friend gave it to me as a present, and I thought, well, I don't know about that. It's a charger. It's the kind of thing that you you charge it up, and then it can charge your iPhone. Um, and it's the, the thing I like about it, I don't want one of those things, one of those Mophie-type cases that you have to put on your iPhone and make them bigger. Because I usually don't need that much power. You know, I'm usually home most of the day. But um, but if I have the travel monkey with me that gets to the end of the day and I've been really busy out and about, um, I can always get, um, you know, charged back up or at least, you know, run the phone off the power monkey. And it's 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 a shape and a, and a design that's just very easy. Just drop it in your bag. It's it's not fussy. Um, it doesn't need to case. It doesn't, you know. So that's one of the things I like about it. Um, and I'm noticing that they have like solar adapters and things like that for the power. Monitor. Do they really? <laughs> no, no, I, 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 uh, have, um, um, I haven't, I, I, I've had this one power monkey for years. Um, I suppose that I think there's a more powerful power. There monkey is now. the extreme power monkey available I might, now. Maybe the extreme one will charge your iPad three. I think, yes, it will. Cause that's what I, I probably could use. Um, although the iPad holds a charge forever. It's not the same as the iPhone. You know, you're usually at home with or, or near a plug when you're using the iPad, um, at least some of the time. But you could be out all day with the phone and it could run down. So, um, uh, you know, I go out and, and do presentations uh, for Mac user groups and such. Um, and... I own every little, you know, uh, one of those adapters. Dongle. <laughs> Dongle. Is that what they're called? Dongles. I always, um, the, uh, you know, the, the, the video, the VGA and the HDMI and the DVI, you know, adapters, all those things, I carry them around with me every day all the time because they're small (laughs) and if I take them out of my bag because I don't need them right now the next time I'm away and sitting ready to give a presentation I'll say oh shoot I forgot to put them in because I've done that so when the last time I did that I said never again they're small they don't weigh a lot they fit right in the bag they just stay in the bag so um, if you're doing presentations you probably already know this No, but uh, I think that's useful. I, I'm really toying with the idea with my next major presentation. It's going to be about the Mac, but I think I'm going to just screencast everything and just put it on the iPad and show up and give it off the iPad. 
Interesting. It, it's it's becoming more of a thing, you know. And now with like the Airport Express, you can create your own little virtual network. And with an That's Apple right. TV, you can plug into an HDMI projector. So right. you show up and you create a network and you plug into a projector. I'm going to do a post on this someday because I just did one recently for a client. Mm-hmm. And they were, it was a big marketing company, actually, they're a big advertising agency. And they were just like blown away that I was able to do that. And it's really not that hard anymore. With a very small set of kit, you can go in and wirelessly present off your iPad. And, that sounds uh, good. I think that's the future for me. Yeah. So, yeah, so those are some of my little hacks. I mean, <laughs> this is not technology, but I've been won over to the the benefits of the Starbucks via instant coffee packets. Coffee's um, important. Coffee is very important. And I, at first I thought, how can they charge so much for instant coffee and who would buy that, you know? And how crazy is that? But if you they're really small, the coffee is not great coffee, but it's not bad. It's much better than the kind of coffee you make in those little Mr. Coffee machines in hotel rooms. It's much better than that. And it's so I, um, if you're in a hotel room, if you're staying in a hotel and you need a cup of coffee first thing in the morning and you can get hot water, you can have this like decent, uh, Starbucks cup of coffee. Um, and it doesn't, take up a lot of space to carry it around so yeah i, I want to make fun of you but i have no right at this point no <laughs> no you don't <laughs> i go to the asian market and i buy the little um empty tea silks and i like uh-huh. pack my own loose leaf before i go on a trip because i just cannot drink the tea that they want to give me out of like places like starbucks i cannot drink it oh so i am pretty bad about that no well, Gene, I am so glad we finally had you on. I am a huge fan of yours, and I, I can't wait to see what you do with App Camp for Girls. I think it's going to be a huge success. And and more importantly, I can't wait to hear in the future years all these amazing developers who talk about, you know, Gene McDonald got them started with this App Camp for Girls. Yeah, that that's my dream. I think that would be great. So the website is appcamp, the number four girls.com. And Jean, where else can people find you if they just want to follow you or learn more about you? Well, I'm on Twitter at MacGenie, M-A-C-G-E-N-I-E. Um, I'm also on app.net. I've switched to being Jean MacD there. Um, and um, Smile, of course, smilesoftware.com is where I mostly live and um, you can always reach me over there. And, uh, you know, uh, Macworld is not that far away. Not, <laughs> I've already booked my air travel. Oh, so they can come I haven't. See you, right? <laughs> yes, Macworld, will, we are going to be there. We'll be having a booth and we're going to have some surprises this year. So. How are you? Now, yes. I'm, now I'm anxious. Yeah. Let's do it. So, so definitely keep in touch with Smile around Macworld time. Good deal. If you do go to Macworld, make sure to stop by and say hello to Gene. It'll be yeah. one of the best parts of Macworld. Right. <laughs> and and sometimes they give away free stuff at their booth, like little yeah. like lens or a, a screen cleaners. And I mean, you may yeah. not have those this year. I don't know, but you had them in the past. Maybe Mac yeah. power users buttons or something. Well, yeah, we can um, have a Mac. Um, I hope maybe we can have Mac Power Users Hour again, um, like we've done in the past couple. Where maybe you, guys you come can to give the booth. away Mac Power Users Host. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> I love it. Every year we go to their booth and hang out there, and people come up and start asking me how to run the software, and they want help. So I start um, I start answering their questions, and then all the uh, nice people at Smile are like circling around me, making sure I'm not screwing something up. <laughs> oh no, no, that's when the, the booth staff. This is my secret plan for you know getting unpaid help at the booth. <laughs> yeah, that's when they get their lunch breaks. <laughs> Well, you can find links to everything that we talked about in our show notes, and you can find those over on our website at MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU. You can also send us email at feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. Yeah, that's where you can send it, and it will come to both David and I. Uh, we are on Twitter. The show is at MacPowerUsers. I'm at Katie Floyd. David is at MacSparky, and you're on App.net, aren't you? Yeah, I am. I'm on App.net. Not as Max Barkey, but in typical fashion, I'm not very good at it. So yeah. it's uh, hard to find time for all these different services, but I, I'm there. And uh, we, we love iTunes comments. We love the iTunes ratings, but even more so if you've got time to, you know, just pop a quick review into iTunes, that's, that's very helpful in helping new people find us and to increase our ratings in iTunes and help us get featured. And it just, you know, warms the corners of my cold stone heart. Uh, so we, we love those iTunes comments as well. Thank you to our sponsors for this episode, 1Password, Drobo, and Fujitsu. And uh, we'll see you all next time.